0: Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West.
1: And you're listening to As I Am.
0: Jeff and I are so incredibly excited and privileged to be sitting down with Maryam Mohammed, who is an incredibly impressive Pakistani Australian woman. She is a speaker, facilitator, entrepreneur and coach. And in particular, if you didn't know, she co-founded Money Girl, which is a social enterprise that delivers financial literacy to young women. She has also been recognized by the Financial Review as one of Australia's 100 Women of Influence and by the state as a 2020 New South Wales Young Woman of the Year finalist. Miriam, it is so amazing to meet you on Zoom. How are you going?
2: Hello, hello. It is lovely to meet you both as well. Jeff, Isabella, thank you so much for having me. I am currently in London seeing my family after many long years of forceful separation, (laughs) and it is nice and uh, sunny here, which is a wonderful delight.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, Melbourne was completely dreary today, so I'm glad you got some sunshine. Before we kick things off, you know, we'd love to kind of understand about you and your journey. So tell us about yourself and in particular, you know, what inspired you to start Money Girl?
2: Of course. So I was born and brought up in Pakistan, and I came to Australia when I was 19 years old and went to university for my undergraduate I was I'm a creative at heart so I was doing filmmaking at university but my goal was always to eliminate or reduce you can say violence against women Mm -hmm. that's a cause that is close to my heart because I'm a survivor myself I grew up around a lot of violence against women it was very normalized where I come from it's not illegal either so It was something I feel particularly strong about ever since I could remember. Even Wee Lil Mariam as a child had very strong opinions about violence against women. So I was studying film, but I started working on the side, well, volunteering in the refugee sector in Australia. And then... By the time I graduated, I decided to do my master's in community development because it seemed like most of the work that I was doing was in that area. And I just wanted to learn more. And like a good migrant, I thought if I formalize (laughs) my education, if I just upskill more in the area that I'm working in, then I shall get paid what I am worth. And I shall have <laughs> the opportunities that I deserve. So that's
0: such Margaret mentality. I love that you've raised that.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, you just got to work hard enough, girl. Like, because hmm. I was working hard, but was anyone employing me? No. You know, by the time I graduated from my undergrad, I was still doing the part time job that I did you know, as as a student mm. and literally nobody in the media, which is where I wanted to initially go, right? I wanted to work from that perspective. People wouldn't even give me bitch work on set, which I would do for, I was like, I will do it for free. I will come here. I will work for you for free. Just let me get your coffee for you. Mm.
0: Mm.
2: You know, I wasn't white enough for the media you know so I was like okay well if I keep working hard if I upskill I'm gonna figure out a way somebody's gonna give me a job at some point surely um, and I did I did my master's but in the course of doing that I kind of decided that the angle that I wanted to come at the problem at is actually policy mm. so during my master's I was laser focused on policy as a means of change and it is a powerful means of change but again it was the lack of opportunity in the area for me that forced me to pivot elsewhere and I share that because these are hurdles that it's the story of every migrant every migrant will have faced these things um, and, and then there, there will be people who haven't, people who've come and found these opportunities with ease and will not relate to my story. And that's nice too. I don't want everybody to experience those hurdles, uh, but I did. And that's been part of the journey that led me here because when I was unable to get the opportunities that I wanted to create the change that I wanted. That's when I decided to create my own table. Because at some point, after I had done an undergraduate degree and a master's degree and been the women's officer and president later at the University of Sydney and then this and that, I was like, you know what? The problem is not with me. <laughs> so, all of you all who are 100%. 100%. not just not willing to give me a seat at the table, and it has nothing to do with my ability. So I'm just gonna create my own fucking table. Oh my god! Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> so Yeah, that's pretty much what led me to entrepreneurship because it's not something I set out to do. Heck, I grew up with father who runs a family business, so. I promised myself I would never go into business because I did not like his lifestyle, his work-life balance, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, I'm never gonna be that. I'm never gonna have a business. And there I was 20 something years later looking down the road of entrepreneurship because that offered me the opportunity to create my own table Mm -hmm. and hack away at the problem. That's, That's all I really wanted to do, you know? And the reason it ended up being financial literacy was simply because at that point, I had been working with women who experienced violence for many years, and I could see that this was uh, financial literacy or financial dependence on an abusive partner was one of the main reasons why women kept going back to violent relationships. So there was that knowledge that I was kind of just holding. I had not decided per se that I'm going to go and, you know, tackle this problem from this angle. But I was on that journey myself. I had come to Australia, right, and built my own financial literacy, my own financial dependence. But even like six or so years into that journey, I was finding that I was always walking a very thin line, I was financially secure in the present, but if I started thinking about the future and if I just, I remember one day just sat down and did the math of what it would take for me to retire financially secure and then work backwards to see if that's the track I was on. And there was a huge gap. And knowing, understanding that I'm a woman who will experience the gender pay gap in the workforce, should I choose to have a family, I will likely be the carer. And all of those things means that if that gap is already huge in my early 20s, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. So I was gonna retire in poverty, even after all of the hard work that I do in my life. So I was on that journey of learning how the fuck do I make myself financially safe In the present and in the future. And my co founder, who had just graduated, was on that journey simply because she had just graduated, entering the workforce for the very first time. And she was asking herself all of these questions as well. And we were both learning together and we were realizing how hard it was at that time. This is before the Royal Commission into the banking sector happened. There was no fun podcasts in Australia to listen to. There was very few books that were not written by men about finance and wealth to read. It was so hard to access knowledge that was based in the Australian context Mm. for women, for women of color, for migrants, you know, it was all I could do was read the barefoot investor in past the first page 11 or 18, I was like, well, this applies to a white fella born into wealth. like what am yeah. I supposed to do with this? Yeah and that was it. Melissa and I were trying to solve the problem for ourselves. We wanted financial literacy that was suited for people like us. Mm. So we kind of had to create that for ourselves and if we did that, we might as well share that with our peers. And that's how Money Girl was born. Wow, that is so inspiring. That's
1: awesome. That exercise where you work backwards from retirement, that was one of the first things I did when I moved out last year, because that was what uh, my parents taught me to do. That is one of the most sobering things. (laughs) And just, it's such a sobering exercise, but obviously so incredibly important uh, to highlight the need to think about that long-term, your long-term future, thinking about your experience once you retire um, in Australia. But I guess like for you, beyond some of the learnings that you've made, what what are the biggest findings in terms of financial literacy that you've learned on this journey through Money Girl?
2: So I always thought that finance is very complicated and I, as a woman, am not confident enough. I don't know why, but I just had this relationship with, personal finance, right? That it wasn't, it was something just a little bit out of reach for me. It was a little too convoluted. I couldn't understand the concepts. They were a little too complicated. And it's not for me. It's for a particular group of people who maybe perhaps work in finance or are perhaps very rich businessmen. It's not for somebody like me. And I realized that as a finance educator, I realized that most of finance, personal finance, especially is very simple. It's just wrapped up in a lot of jargon Mm -hmm. as a means to gatekeep the industry. I don't exactly know why the finance industry likes to make up big words for simple concepts, but they do. But if you're just to speak in plain English, those are for the most part very simple concepts mm. that was one realization i was like oh okay personal finance to the extent that it applies to most people is fairly simple and it's, it's just spoken about in terms that are un- not understandable to most people so that the people who are talking about it they can feel very chuffed about themselves mm. Mm. The other thing I realized was perhaps there is a confidence gap, but there's no gender gap in terms of who wants to manage money, who wants to learn about money, who is willing and able to learn about money, which before I was on this journey seemed like a very prevalent, and it is to a certain extent, prevalent understanding of financial literacy is that women don't know how it impacts them. You need to teach them why it's important to learn about money. For the most part, I have found that to be entirely garbage. Mm. In my experience working with women teaching financial literacy, women are perfectly capable In fact, in Australia, most household budgets are managed by the women leaders of the household. They're perfectly capable. They're perfectly willing to learn and want to learn and understand why it's important. It's just that for the longest time, they've just been left out of the conversation because they've been seen as irrelevant to the conversation. So I would say those are my Two biggest learnings: personal finance is actually very simple, Mm. and that there's no actual gender gap when it comes to who wants to learn about money.
0: Yeah, I think that's so interesting, and I think your point you raised before about this notion of gatekeeping, I think, is a really poignant one because I think, especially when you think about the Australian context, like you're right, it, it is very much just kind of wrapped up in this image of the barefoot investor of like a white man that's been you know born into privilege or at least a trust fund right and i think it's interesting because i mean at least for me i've noticed a really big trend in a lot of these different financial podcasts that have popped up but specifically for women but i often find that you know these conversations around financial literacy and independence with australian women in particular really lack this intersectionality i think often it's produced by a lot of white women And I'm just curious to understand, you know, and and I think it's amazing to see that Money Girl fills this gap of what you said before and identified of women from migrant backgrounds, women of color who do have particular needs or certain things that that I feel like a lot of these white podcasts don't really tackle. Um, But I'm curious to understand in your opinion, what you think are the particular systemic factors that lead to a disproportionate rate of, you know, financial literacy amongst South Asian women in particular. And what structures do we need in place to address this beyond things like podcasts?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And the most important factor in catering financial education for a more diverse community is incorporating culture into education
0: Mm.
2: or having culturally appropriate education, really. Because if we take one topic of personal finance, let's say goal setting. In a class where you have a more representative group of Australians sitting, there will be a lot more than just goal planning for the individual, their retirement, their career ambitions, their worldly wealth goals in terms of owning a property etc bring in any asian person not just south asian and there will be a conversation around caring for their parents because they're expected to and will likely home mm. their parents once their parents are old and retired right bring in an indigenous person and they will bring their own cultural needs Into the room, right? And they will talk about that. That is why you need a space where, when you talk about financial education, personal finance, literacy, people are able to talk about those things and they don't feel like they are the weird ones out. So, when They read a book or listen to a podcast that is meant entirely for white Australia. They don't feel like it is relevant to them because the things that people are talking about, the things that are considered important are just not in line with their values And that becomes a barrier in people accessing those resources. It was a barrier for me. I mean, with podcasts, it continues to be a barrier for me with financial podcasts in Australia, because I feel like a lot of it just doesn't apply to me or someone like me. So having culturally appropriate education and, and educators who can be sensitive to those needs is very important. And then, of course, there will be a whole bunch of other things. Okay. Like you asked specifically about South Asians. There will be a fair bit of religious connotations when you talk about money. A certain group will be, will have been brought up to dedicate a certain percentage of their wealth or income to charity. And if you were to go in from an entirely like white western perspective you would give them very different values or very Mm -hmm. different value based education another group may well be coming from a perspective that money is a worldly evil that takes you away from god you there's just there's a whole variety of things that come into play with money because money doesn't exist in isolation in Mm. people's lives. It is so influenced by culture, by religion, by family dynamics, gender roles, et cetera, that the people have grown up around. So it's incredibly important to be able to create a place that is safe for people and inclusive to talk about the things that actually are going on in their head when it comes to money mm. and for them to feel like they are represented in these spaces that it is okay to bring these things up yeah. yeah
1: absolutely that that is a mammoth task like you've talked about all these different cultural nuances and idiosyncrasies that are really important to bring into the conversation when talking about money how did you go about trying to design the curriculum Um, in the early days where you had to sort of pull in and make sure it was appropriate for people of different cultures and minority backgrounds? I'd be interested to hear about that process a little more.
2: Well, the first thing we did was talk to the community that we were seeking to serve. So that looked like having over 200 conversations with the young women that we wanted to serve before we went about creating the product because I believe in strength-based community development. So I believe that the solutions to the problems exist within the communities who experience them. And in fact, they are best placed to solve their own problems because they're the ones experiencing it. So we spoke with the community about what it is that they actually need, not what we think they need.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and of course there is an incredible amount of existing academic research in Australia about the needs of women in general, but also women from marginalized communities, women who experience violence, what their needs are when it comes to financial literacy, and there's plenty of research to inform decision making around what solutions should look like. And then, of course, the last part to that was to actually work with experts in the industry to create then an evidence-based curriculum that we knew was informed by the community's input and by research into what these young women actually need to learn about. Because when it comes to personal finance, there is a hundred and 31 topics that you could get into from the get-go. There's a lot more than that, but to make the education effective, you really need to focus, bring it back to what is important for the people to learn now and then build on those foundations. So it was it was a fun art, I would say, to curate what was in the curriculum and what was not because most of personal finance is not in the curriculum of a foundational course you know Mm -hmm. you can build on that and the community that we consulted obviously then took into account the fact that who we wanted to cater to was the First Nations of Australia, migrant women, refugee women. And so the people that we talked to at that time was perhaps overly representative of that group compared to what it is actually in Australia. But that also continues to be the case for us as we continue to refine what the course looks like, build upon the foundations uh, course that we have, we continue to listen to those communities in particular because there's plenty of other people out there catering to the rest of Australia. This is a community that we particularly feel very strongly about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's, it's so incredibly inspiring to see the work that you are doing to serve these communities, um, so thank you, I guess. Um, but I just want to circle back. No, I, I feel I feel very like moved by this. I think the work you are doing is incredibly important. But something that I kind of want to circle back to that you mentioned at the beginning about you know your personal journey of surviving abuse and violence. I think your story of surviving this gendered violence is quite inspiring and I'm curious to understand how your experience has shaped your personal approach to money and how you think financial literacy
2: can help empower victims of abuse that's a wonderful question to be honest I've done a lot of reflecting on how that experience has informed my relationship with money and there is like anything it's good and bad the good is that I was very aware from a very young age of how important it is for me to be financially literate so that I can be in control of my resources because I had seen what happens when you're not. The flip side to that is that I am fiercely freedom-minded. And the truth is, You don't exist in a vacuum, right? You exist in a community, in a collective. And there isn't really a need to be so fiercely independent because here's a cultural nuance to this conversation is I grew up with my parents telling me moderation is key to everything. It's not good to go off the deep end on either side of a spectrum when it comes to anything, right? Right. And I grew up in a religious household, so they would even say that about religion, you know, they would be like moderation is key it's not, it's not good to be completely. On the religious end or completely on the worldly end, you just, you gotta, you gotta stay in the middle. Mm. And I say cultural nuance because this is a perfect example of why you need spaces where people can have conversations with that cultural nuance. Because if I said that in a white feminist space, give me your best guess of what a reaction to that would be. Hopefully, denial,
0: maybe or just a negation of that experience, or at least.
1: Yeah, there's always that thing where when you call something out and it gives them that realization that they've been blind to the truth for a really long time, then denial is often the first thing that comes out or they're like, oh, no, it's not like this. It's something else. They try to gaslight you in the opposite direction. Oh my God, Yeah, Definitely gaslighting. Gaslighting is, <laughs> is, oh,
0: why feminism? That's another thing to unpack, but yeah. Keen to hear what your answer is. Yeah, right, it man?
2: would ex- it would absolutely be that. It would be a gaslighting of what I've grown up with I would I would hear how I'm the victim of what I've grown up with right and I'm a fence sitter but I've been conditioned by my culture as a as a oppressed wee little lass Mm. to (laughs) be a be a fence sitter so that I can be controlled right but and that's that's what I mean when I say we we need those culturally safe spaces because to me, that value is important. I don't care what fourth wave Western feminist thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I'm I'm a feminist myself. I'm a staunch feminist. And I, you know, but that value of moderation is important to me. And when it comes to financial independence, of course, I advocate and work for financial independence of women. And I do believe it is important. What I do see from my experience of having been a survivor and then having been on that journey is that my independence often comes from a place of of trauma. It's a coping mechanism. It's a crutch for me because I believe that if I am just independent enough then I will never have to be in that position again because no one will ever be a close enough partner to me to be able to exercise any power or control over me. But that comes from a place of trauma. That's not an objective truth about the universe or its people.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's incredibly moving and it's amazing truly to see, you know, your past and your history kind of inform the experiences that you have now and that you're able to come kind of educate and help others who may have had similar experiences to you. Um, So thank you so much for sharing that.
1: You know, obviously there's been an amazing amount of work done so far with Money Girl, but obviously we know that it's going to like continue to grow. It's going to continue to expand. It's going to continue to do much more awesome things. Can you let us in on some of your future plans? Is there anything that you can share?
0: Does that include a podcast?
2: <laughs> oh, I would love to have my very own show. I <laughs> think you, can think you do should.
0: It. I think you should. I think you definitely should.
2: Uh, look, a podcast is not currently in the works, albeit you never know. Mm. You never know. Never say never. You never know. <laughs> but what we are very excited about is to, one, continue educating the people we've already educated so we're working on more courses that are dedicated to areas of interest for our alumni and others who might not have already gone through the money girl course For example, investing is obviously a huge area of interest for our community. Mm -hmm. And again, that's something I've learned through this experience is no one would have said previously to me or I had not been exposed to the fact that every woman in Australia or most women in Australia are super into investing. It doesn't matter if they're migrants or refugees or First Nations. That's just the thing because they're interested in securing their financial future. And they know there's something called investing that helps do it. And they want to learn more about it. So that's something we're working on to help people continue building on that journey. Because we work on a very strong foundational course at the moment. and, And we want people to continue building on that journey. The other uh, very exciting thing that we want to do is to grow internationally mm. Mm. because this That's is, beautiful. I mean, that was always the blue skies goal for money girl, but in the next couple of years, we should be able to try that out for realsies. So I love that. Oh my I mean, God. you
1: and me both I've, right now I got getting started uh, in shares for dummies right here
2: hey. because
1: um, I'm ch- it was a 2022 resolution because I was one of those people who was like, I don't need this. I don't I don't need to do any of this. And then I did that exercise. I was like, I'm going to be broke. I do to do something uh, outside of my normal income, which as it is, is just okay. But um, <laughs> so, super glad that that is sort of like a focus area because it is super duper important. I've got here in my notes, that an app would be really cool. And I know that's such a, I guess, like current digital wavy thing, but picture this, and this is a free idea, it's all yours. Say someone does the foundational course, they gain all this new financial literacy and confidence, an app that helps them you know, manage their finances, continue learning resource, something that is personalized to whatever cultural needs, whatever, um, needs that are unique to this individual, and then that's something that helps them continue to progress. Just an idea. Love that. It's all yours if you want it.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you, Jeff. We, um, we, maybe we need to do a little hackathon so we can yeah, get all yeah, these ideas.
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'm always down for that, so. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, idea. are you
2: helping me build this, by the way?
1: I might. I can Jeff. <laughs> this is kind of what I do for work. Not the actual development side, but all the research and all that sort of stuff. Maybe we can, maybe we can work on this together. The collab. We'll talk, we'll, we'll talk after this. <laughs> um, and, you know, as a as last question, or, or maybe second last question, we always love to get some advice from our amazing guests that we can pass on to our listeners. And today, the question we want to ask you is, you know, what advice would you give to our listeners who are interested in becoming more financially literate or want to become more active in this space?
2: Okay. So, the first thing that I would say is just start because that is the most daunting part of this journey.
0: Mm.
2: You know, they say the best uh, the best time to start was yesterday and the next best time is today. That is true for your personal finance journey as well. And it's true for every little component within this journey, whether you're talking about saving, whether you're talking about investing. It's okay if you haven't done it so far. Starting will be the most daunting part. So just to start start small and start imperfect but the most important part is to start
0: oh fantastic and honestly i think that's advice that i need to hear like you jeff i've been putting this off for so long now particularly you investing can have this so you can have this yeah now, no go. honestly so no that <laughs> is really good advice for me personally so thank you mariam i love like that um,
2: okay we're also starting our next course in april so i think i'll save you both a spot because y'all need to. oh my start. god yes please not even joking about that
1: <laughs> oh my god i'm do that yeah send us a link
2: all right
0: last but not least who is the one person you'd actually love to see in this podcast or to just interview in general or chat have dinner with dead or alive <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay look this is this is a blue sky girl okay for you guys and for me but somebody i would love to interview is aoc oh oh Oh, imagine oh my god imagine every time aoc puts up ask me anything i always ask her (laughs) when can i interview you because maybe one day oh my fucking god i'm a fucking creep what the fuck are you doing girl? i always ask her that because i'm just hoping one day she's gonna be like girl fine oh yeah, my she god. came. she sees
1: the same username on pop up every single time <laughs> you gotta reward persistence you gotta reward persistence
2: correct
0: correct all right we'll try for you we'll try yeah <laughs> we'll, you know we'll, when we'll, that happens we'll
1: try we'll try and make some magic work i think we have some people <laughs>
0: oh fantastic uh, before we wrap up though was there anything in particular you'd want to plug about money girl here's your opportunity
2: amazing okay so like i said the next course for money girl is enrolling in april 2022 we open enrollments to the public only twice a year so if you have been meaning to start your personal finance journey here is your chance (laughs) and i will of course send the link to you both to share with your community so people can sign up oh fantastic well
0: thank you so much Miriam. this has been an incredible podcast episode for me personally i think it's both been so inspiring to hear your story and to see how you continually help people and educate those in this really important space so thank you so much for your time again it's been an absolute pleasure
2: thank you both for having me it's been my pleasure
1: anytime and we'll include all those links uh, so that you guys can access and join the course as well but if you enjoyed this podcast make sure you give it five stars wherever you get your podcast otherwise we'll catch you guys on the next episode see you later bye